Hello, friends. Just a quick content warning. This being Jessica Jones, we do spend some time talking about rape and sexual assault. And while it's certainly shown up quite a bit in every episode of Listen Up A-Holes that we discuss Jessica, it's especially prevalent here in the Four Color Facts. So just be warned, and if you need to, skip this one. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that would put day drinking under both experience and special abilities. I'm story expert Lonnie Dianrich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the repressed of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Jessica Jones, season one, episodes five and six. Okay, I have four color facts that, one, I have been promising since the first episode. Finally, <laughs> we're going to hear about the Purple Man. I'm very excited about that. But before that, we're going to talk about the many superheroic identities of Jessica Jones. <laughs> part one. I mean, there's not really going to be another part two, but I make a promise, a down payment, you might say, on future information. At the All end. right. So. Mm -hmm. so as we see in this week's batch of episodes, Trish wants Jessica to become an honest to goodness, according to Hoyle's superhero. <laughs> and for that, one needs a costume. You can't be a superhero without a costume. Don't at me. You're not ready for this jelly. <laughs> In this scene, we are teased with the 616 Jessica's first, that's right, first and only first superheroic identity. Aha. Uh -huh. Jessica began her superheroic career as Jewel. <laughs> The costume we saw Trish with is largely the same one that Jess wore in the comics, mm -hmm. minus the mask and plus magenta hair. I like it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's definitely a look. I'm not exactly sure how secret identities are supposed to work, but yeah, know, whatever. She was active as Jewel for about four in-fiction years and had a few minor adventures and team-ups with folks like the Fantastic Four's thing. Mm -hmm. Although... He completely forgot about it later. Oh, no. Well, that's the thing. She's not very well known as Jewel. Uh -huh. And as we know from previous Four Color Facts, Jessica herself was actually introduced after her original couple of superhero careers had gone in the tank. Uh -huh. Right? Like, we knew Jessica Jones before we knew Jewel or her other identity. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. What we have here is a judicious and excellent use of the retcon. Right. Now, I don't know that retcons were invented by superhero comics, but I'm going to say that superhero comics both perfected and completely ruined the retcon. Right. But because you are the story expert on this particular podcast, I'm going to let you explain retcons to our audience. Okay. Retcon stands for retroactive continuity, and it happens when uh, we have usually a longstanding series. Uh, I think that comic books and soap operas are probably most famous for this, although you will see it in other series stories um, in which we set up something earlier in the story and then later on go back 
back and kind of erase it, kind of just change it. Don't explain it. Don't show any reason why this you know, detail is different now. Uh, we just retroactively say this is how it is. This is how it has always been. We're just going to whistle past any, you know, um, uh, incontinuity in that. So. Now, you're right. Usually, or I would say a lot of times, it's changing something, mm -hmm. you know, uh, fixing something. Or erasing something, pretending something didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. In this case, we are injecting a whole new person that mm -hmm. did not exist before into a bunch of previous continuity. So, mm -hmm. so Jessica's years of going to high school with Peter Parker, we will come back to that next episode. <laughs> and her time as Jewel were told to us in the early 2000s while we all collectively pretended like she'd been around since the mid 60s. Okay. <laughs> now, I really feel like a lot of times in superhero stuff, especially retcons are a waste of time. I mean, why are we fixing older stories, mm -hmm. right? But they can also be fun little coals de sac in that flesh out previous events with more detail. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like I, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, you know? they can absolutely become a problem in a character's background. Like you can wind up with things that directly contradict one another. And, yes. and again, some of this only matters depending on how much the fiction wants you, you know, to buy into the importance of these backgrounds. Yes. You know? mm -hmm. Which is why it's a little complicated in superhero comics where they're like, no, no, no. Everything super duper matters all the time, except when it does. Right. You know, complicated. But when you have a rich fictional universe that is just as deep as it is wide, mm -hmm. it makes sense that not every superhero is getting the same amount of spotlight. So seeding one backwards in time to give her a feeling of history that never technically existed is a pretty great idea when you do it well. Yeah, I think that the the like that particular brand of retcon is rarer. <laughs> um, where you go back and you pretend like they've been around the whole time. Um, and usually what happens, I think, is that, you know, writers want to do something with a character that a previous, you know, um, history can interfere with. And instead of not doing the thing, they just like rewrite the history. They just like pretend like it never happened, you know. Um, and I think that that's OK, too. Like, especially when you've got something that is as long as like a comic book history or a soap opera history. Um, being true to all of these things kind of shuts down your ability to work with the character and do new and interesting things with them. So, uh, so I'm kind of OK with the retcon in those circumstances in like a TV series where at the end of one season we are like kind of rewriting what happened at the beginning of the season that can get a little bit rough but in in the circumstances where we've got 40 50 years of these stories being told with these characters I think it's something that you'd have to do or you would just write yourself into a corner constantly no, I, I mean, I tend to agree. Like I said, when they're done well, right. I'm here for it. You know, um, I just was speaking about Alfred Pennyworth <laughs> on a recent episode of an animated discussion and talking about how there was actually an Alfred before him who was kind of a comical character. Mm -hmm. They decided they wanted a more serious Alfred, so they just kind of stopped talking about Alfred Beagle and introduced Alfred Pennyworth. Mm -hmm. And at first he showed up after Batman and Robin had been working together for a while and then later we were like wouldn't it be great if alfred were actually a father figure for bruce and he just gets seated further back you know yeah. in the personal timeline mm -hmm. i like that stuff like that's an evolving story sure. same thing mm -hmm. with wanting jessica 
in the 616 to have these loose connections to the broader superhero universe, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of history. Just there's a lot of cracks there that she could fall into, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. go with that stuff. It was all a dream, Bobby. Not so great. <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm dating the hell out of myself with that reference, but I regret it. <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody who knows what we're talking about, we see you. High five, <laughs> High oldsters. High five, okay. old people. <laughs> so Jessica operated as Jewel until she happened upon a fistfight in a restaurant. Turns out the fistfight was started by Kilgrave, the purple man. Don't worry, we'll get there. Mm-hmm who had told two men to fight for his amusement. He was taken with Jessica, and he told her to take care of the cops so he could finish his steak. Mm-hmm. She did so and then left with him. Now, I am going to go on a minor rant here for a moment. Okay. And it's about some triggery stuff. So everybody okay. maybe jump ahead 30 seconds and make sure that I'm no longer yelling into the microphone. And if it <laughs> takes another 30 seconds after that, I apologize in advance. <laughs> It has been a long time since I read Alias, and I have not kept up perfectly with Jessica's story. So I went back and reread the Mm -hmm. issue where she talks about her time with Kilgrave. Mm -hmm. And they establish that during the eight months that she was his prisoner, he never used her for sexual purposes, only as an accomplice in bank robberies and such. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I find that to be distinctly absurd bullshit meant to soften a decision that added adult complexity to characters originally meant for children. Mm -hmm. And it really pisses me off. I am on record as saying superheroes for adults are largely a giant mistake. But if you're going to do it, you better fucking do it. Mm -hmm. Don't you dare describe him as making her watch him with other women or making her bathe him or making her beg him for sex he will not give her until she cries and then claim that's not sexual violence or pretend like it's not sexual violence. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm led to believe that Bendis has improved as a writer and possibly as a human on delicate (laughs) subjects. We've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. but this is definitely some like, early 2000s bullshit male way to write about sexual violence by pretending that penetration is the only awful thing someone can do to you. Yes. Fuck that male-centered bullshit point of view, and thank God we got a Jessica that we can be proud of in this show. Well said, Joshua. (laughs) Like like a a, a Jessica that is dealing with that issue in a way we can be proud of. Not necessarily her and her, like, the issues, but if you're going to put it in there, I mean, first of all... Well, we're not erasing her trauma. No, this is the thing is that we we like to put women um, we like, you know, to put brown bodies, queer bodies through all sorts of, you know, like traumatic um, titillation. Right. Um, And then afterward, we don't want to deal with the trauma and process the trauma from that. Um, And the thing is, is that that's how you earn telling that story in the first place if you're going to do the stuff that's you know thrilling in very terrible terrible ways uh you need to pay for that by processing that trauma with those characters and so yes you're absolutely right whether or not he penetrated her is not like the only line to abuse that is all abusive it's terrible yeah it's terrible Oh, I just anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. I can't believe that Bendis at the time thought that somehow I don't even know because she is literally dealing with her trauma in that story as a whole and also Mm -hmm. in that specific issue. But she just insists 
that he never penetrated her and and somehow and that somehow that's a mitigating factor right it's yeah. not it's not at all a mitigating factor it's mm-hmm. not and it would be one thing if it were written as you know that's sort of you know jessica's last line of mental defense mm-hmm. you know that she's clinging to that but it's it's there's not that level of nuance right i mean there's this whole idea about you know you don't lose your virginity you know until a man penetrates you that it's not rape if he doesn't come that you know there's all these things that we we have this line based on the male experience of it deciding whether or not it is um a violation and um, or whether it counts as sex or whatever. Um, and so our cultural understanding of that from a very male point of view uh, causes a lot of these problems in how we deal with the trauma. And this also sends the message to a lot of victims that, you know, because he didn't finish, because he didn't penetrate, because of this or that, because his experience wasn't complete or whatever, then somehow it's not sexual violence. And that's absolutely untrue. I mentioned at the beginning of all this that I read it at the time and was not quite to the same place that I am now, obviously, because, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. But even I was reading this at the time going, I don't really feel like this is handling this in the best way. And I just didn't yeah. quite have like the vocabulary. Well, mm-hmm. I do now. And it's <laughs> fucking terrible. It is terrible. Male writers stop using rape as a motivator and double stop using it. If you're not even going to bother to try and understand it well, you know, like if you're not going to really deal with it, stop, just yeah. stop. Rape is not titillation. Rape is trauma. And you really need to handle that properly. If you're going to do it, you have to earn it. Now I'll I'll try and lighten up a little bit, although okay. to be honest, it's pretty rough for the rest of Jessica's time too, <laughs> just in a different way. So Jewel's career ends when, in a snit, Kilgrave sends her to kill Daredevil. Mm-hmm. This is before Matt Murdock became the worst person ever with his secret identity, so Kilgrave <laughs> couldn't just give her an address. <laughs> so she tells him to go attack him at the Avengers Mansion. He's not an Avenger. Okay. <laughs> Kilgrave's just mad and doesn't know what else to do and is like ranting at her and just says go, right? Uh Now, once she leaves his presence and the further she gets away from Kilgrave, the control lessens, Mm -hmm. but it's not none. And she gets confused once she gets to the Avengers and attacks a person wearing all red, just like Daredevil would. She knocks Scarlet Witch out. Uh Like it's a sucker punch. She comes flying in and just knocks her smooth out. Vision freaks out because this is during the time that Vision and Scarlet Witch are married. Mm -hmm. Thor and Iron Man also freak out to a slightly (laughs) lesser extent. And they all three mess Jessica up pretty bad. Okay. Now, she was in the hospital with a lot of broken bones, missing teeth, a detached retina for a long time. Mm -hmm. But she was also in a coma. Because her mind just couldn't deal with everything that had happened to her. Like it was just this Mm -hmm. big traumatic experience of eight months with Kilgrave that ends with a savage beating Mm -hmm. for reasons that at the moment that it's happening, she can barely kind of understand what, why that, why it's even happening. Mm -hmm. With the help of Jean Grey, the X-Men's Phoenix, or at Mm -hmm. least at the time she was the Phoenix. (laughs) Boy, that's a whole other podcast. It's called uh, (laughs) Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, actually. I believe Um, it is, yeah. Uh, So with the help of Jean Grey, Jessica is able to kind of put her mind back together and get on the road to healing. Mm -hmm. 
Later, we discover that Jean also gave her a psychic failsafe for if Kilgrave ever tried to control her again. Mm-hmm. And shared universes can lead to some deus ex machina nonsense, but also sometimes it's super <laughs> duper satisfying. Right. As Kilgrave t- tries to control her again, it doesn't work because Jean already set this up and she just knocks him the fuck out. Oh. Like, it's pretty dope. So, yeah. Sometime later, however, Jessica's very angry and tries to be a superhero again. Mm-hmm. Now, by her own admission, this was mainly so that she could punch people. Right. You know, who more or less deserved it. So mm-hmm. she gets a black and red costume and calls herself Nitrous. Mm-hmm. This is bad. Yeah. Like, that's a bad name. I don't, yeah, it is. The costume's not terrible, but it's not great either. And Nitrous, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. by her own admission, again, it was a darker identity for a darker time in her life. But, as Jessica says, everyone was wearing black then, even Spider-Man, and she compares it to the superhero equivalent of leg warmers. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, it's a good joke. I like it, but that name and costume is not great. (laughs) While she was the Nitrous, she fought the Owl. Remember that guy from Daredevil, kind of? Oh, yeah. And she accidentally fights him alongside Power Man and Iron Fist. Okay. Those heroes for hire convince her to not run away when the cops show up. Mm -hmm. And in the process of filling out statements, they discover that one of the mobsters Owl was meeting had brought his young children along. Because he's a good dad. Right. It's bring your child to your nefarious activities day. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Low rent hoods. (laughs) Low rent hoods. I'm just saying. Now, when Jessica realizes that the kids are going to have to spend the night at the police station, she reveals her identity so that she can take them for the night instead. And Mm -hmm. that is the end of Nitrous. Okay. This led in a very roundabout way to her final heroic identity. It was nearly as brief as her stint of time as Nitrous, but she did finally become a full membership Avenger as Power Woman. Oh, Man, that is like the most generic. <laughs> it is not. Well, hmm. Power woman? You're perhaps not wrong, but there are very specific reasons that she is briefly power woman. Uh-huh. But I am going to leave those details for our next episode when we dig into the many loves of Jessica Jones. All right. Well, I'll just wait for that discussion then. They are connected, her final superheroic identity and her series of relationships. So, All right. And, you know, we'll come back to then and I will be very interested to know how you feel about that name. I bet you're not going to like it more, (laughs) but for different reasons. So. (laughs) Okay. All right. At last, Kilgrave. The Purple Man. Yes. Yay. I am excited. You've all been waiting for it. Here we go. Zebediah Kilgrave. First of all, yes, those are both his real names. (laughs) What you name your children and possibly your surname can make a lot of difference to your eventual destiny in superhero comics. (laughs) Alliterative names often become heroes like, you know, Reed Richards, Matt Murdock, Peter Parker. Jessica Jones. Sure. Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. But if your last name sounds like another word, you're probably going to become a low rent super criminal. Wow. Identity is destiny. Look at that. Uh, what do you know, right? <laughs> Owsley becomes the owl. Uh huh. O'Hearn becomes the rhino because it sounds like a uh, horn. Sure, sure. Across the street at DC, you've got a bunch of these. Edward Nigma, E Nigma becomes uh-huh. the Riddler. Mm-hmm. You know, Victor Freeze, spelled 
like German, not like the word for freezing, becomes mm-hmm. Mr. Freeze. You know, sure. it's just, this is how it is. So if your last name is Doom or Kilgrave, <laughs> there's no fucking hope for you. None. You're a very bad man. There's no two ways <laughs> exactly. about it. That's just how it is. So Zebediah Kilgrave was a physician who turned freelance spy for the Soviet bloc. Aha. Uh-huh. That means we're going back in time, friends, to Daredevil number four, 1964, for his first appearance. Wow. In this appearance, he was supposed to steal a nerve gas from an American weapons depot, but a stray shot fired by a guard left him doused in the nerve gas. Mm-hmm. The gas permanently dyed his skin and hair purple, so he is literally a purple man. Okay, all right. And he decided that should be his supervillain name. And to be honest, I agree. <laughs> Wait, he was born with a supervillain name. He's one of the few people that doesn't even have to work for it. <laughs> I know. I know. He could have just name been Dr. Kilgrave. Kilgrave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, not everybody can pull that kind of bravado off. Not okay. everybody swaggers around like Victor Von Doom. Okay. Right. <laughs> not everybody can be the glam rocker of supervillains. And sure. so Kilgrave decides he should also be... The Purple Man. But mm-hmm. really, I, I mean, I'm with you. Kilgrave's a great name. And Zebediah Kilgrave, my God. That's an awesome name. Yeah. But he's also literally purple forever from head to toe. <laughs> and so it's a little on the nose. But honestly, <laughs> you know, what else are you going to call yourself? Right? And, and sometimes <laughs> it's Kilgrave, comma, the Purple Man. I mean, then you've got it all mm-hmm. covered. Right? Sure. Sure. You know. Right. So the nerve gas also changed his body so that he secretes a pheromone that gives him total mental domination over anyone in his presence. Mm -hmm. The pheromone is inhaled or absorbed through the subject's skin, and they are left with almost no sense of self and are wide open to suggestion from the purple man. Wow. I like that. I think that is a very cool mechanic. It's it's pretty good. And it's um it's different enough from what they do in the show. I like what they do mm-hmm. in the show, which we are not going to talk about right now. Right. Because you know, mm-hmm. it's a little spoilery. But it's right. different enough. They limit him in smart ways in the 616, yes. right? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact that he is more powerful in more or less the MCU, because again, I don't really think the Netflix show is a part of the MCU, but you know... Right. With that backdrop. Uh-huh. He's significantly more scary. So let me run up to why he is more scary in the more or less MCU than he is in the 616. Yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. he's an also ran villain in the 616. Like he is mm-hmm. D-list, honestly. Wow. He mostly spends his time trying to start criminal empires right before he gets his face punched in by Daredevil. I mean, I love Daredevil, but being a Daredevil Mm -hmm. villain is not exactly making the big time. Right. And he actually really only landed on the map when Brian Michael Bendis incorporated him into Jessica Jones's backstory. And for the first time, we all thought really hard about Kilgrave's creep factor, as we mentioned, for better or for worse, you know, mixed bag. Yeah. No, I think he. I love that he has this mind control because we do have all of these villains that, you know, are very physical with their powers and to have something that gets inside of the character and like co-ops them you know um makes them complicit in their own abuse it's really devastating so good 
No, I agree. And it's right there. I feel like I need to really kind of dive into the differences between the MCU, especially the very like saturation turned down MCU yes. on Netflix mm -hmm. versus the 616. Okay. Yes. So partly I already mentioned his abilities in the comics are chemical rather than redacted mm -hmm. on the show. Mm -hmm. So because they're chemical, they actually wear off pretty quickly. Once mm -hmm. you're outside of his presence, you almost immediately come back to yourself. Right. You might be a little woozy. You might be a little confused, but you are no longer under his control, mm -hmm. which means no long term orders like he does to Malcolm in these episodes. Yeah. Mm hmm. And in fact, Jessica in the comics only remains under his influence when when he sends her to kill Daredevil mm -hmm. because she had been under his influence for eight solid months. Yeah. Like, and even then, she very quickly gets confused. She just attacks right. something big and red, mm -hmm. right? What's more, comic book Kilgrave's power is apparently full sensory. Yeah. So it doesn't work as well on Daredevil, which I'm just going to say right now is honestly bass backwards. Yeah. It should work extra good on daredevil because it's pheromone based and he has super smell right wow But they decided his lack of sight somehow protects him from kilgrave's influence i don't get it mm -hmm. honestly like even for superhero science that's right backwards <laughs> i don't like it but there have also been a couple of other people who just have tremendous enough willpower that they can shrug off his control wow dr doom mm -hmm. is one of those so is the kingpin interesting yeah, it's just, they just, you know, it's chemical, right? So it's kind of like a greater physical, you know, stamina yeah, might mm -hmm. make it more difficult for him to control you. Mm -hmm. Also just natural willpower, you know, Yeah. these things can step in. And so basically he's way more dangerous and way more sinister on the show mm -hmm. because of partly how his powers work differently. And also because that's a world that is not swimming in super people, mm -hmm. right? So right. a single mind controller is terrifying. Sure. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the 616, there is a mansion in Westchester where at any given time, there live no fewer than two and possibly as many as five people with much more impressive mind control powers. <laughs> All you right. know, it's just, what are you going to do? They're just right there, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you take the way that they make his powers work on this show and throw David Tennant into the mix, oh the purple God, man's right. glow up is undisputed. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. And so I think with that, let's go ahead and start talking about this show because it's kind of incredible. In AKA The Sandwich Saved Me, we open in a flashback, much to Lonnie's delight. <laughs> and we see Jessica pre-Kilgrave at a dead end job using her PI skills to extort one hell of a severance package out of her asshole boss. She hangs out with Trish at a bar, uses her super strength to show up an asshole at the bar, and maybe this show kind of hates men? And I'm just gonna say it, maybe we deserve it a little. <laughs> I mean, except Malcolm, who Jessica follows in the present day to find him handing pictures over to Kilgrave. Turns out Kilgrave made Malcolm into a junkie so Jessica wouldn't notice him when he spies on her. Simpson, however, is total asshole, as Jessica discovers when she goes to Trish's and ends up inadvertently sharing her plan to kidnap Kilgrave with him as he listens half-naked from Trish's bedroom doorway. He mansplains everything to her, and Jessica grudgingly allows his expertise to upgrade their half-assed plan to a special ops mission. He brings her to a decommissioned CDC building with a soundproof, hermetically sealed glass room where they can stash Kilgrave. Okay, fine. He's a little useful. Still an asshole, though. 
Another flashback, and Jessica's got another dead-end job, dressing up as a sandwich and handing out flyers. A little girl walks out into traffic and Jessica saves her. Back in the now, Jessica goes home to discover Malcolm passed out in the elevator and she brings him back to his apartment. She gets a call from Hope and goes to visit her. Hope demands cash from her and appears to have a cliché, I mean, a jailhouse bully. Meanwhile, back in the past, Trish makes a terrible outfit for Jessica. Wait a minute, I don't think it's terrible. <laughs> oh god, it's dreadful. <laughs> oh yeah, but it's a really good superhero outfit. Anyway, it also has a mask though, which is not the best idea sometimes for reasons pointed out by Jessica. But regardless, Trish is encouraging her to use her talents to be a superhero, and Jessica is unconvinced, but she's thinking about it. Back to the present day, and the plan is in place. Jessica follows Malcolm to his meet with Kilgrave, and everyone gets into place. Trish is driving, Simpson is going to dose Kilgrave, and Jessica is going to carry Kilgrave's limp body to the van. It all goes great until a bunch of guys jump them and take Kilgrave away. They get one of the guys who says that Kilgrave hired them. They're not under his control. Jessica believes him, and while Simpson is very eager to torture the guy, they get information from him and just let him go. At home, Jessica overhears Malcolm fighting with his dealer who won't give him the drugs without money. And Jessica runs the dealer off and takes Malcolm back to her place to dry out. He reminds her of the time she saved him and she flashes back to a dark night when she saves Malcolm from a couple of muggers and turns around to find an admiring Kilgrave standing behind her. And so it began. Back at her apartment, Jessica has Malcolm handcuffed to the water pipe in her bathroom as he goes through withdrawal. She tells him it's not his fault but he says he had a choice and holds himself responsible for spying on her and working with Kilgrave. He asks her for drugs to help him wean off, saying that Kilgrave will find him and he's going to be dead anyway. She gives him his drugs and tells him that if he gives up, she loses. She tells him he could take the drugs or he can be strong and save her for once. Jessica gets a call from Kilgrave and he tells her that he'll leave Malcolm alone if she sends him a picture of herself every day at 10 o'clock. She hangs up on him and goes to check on Malcolm who threw the drugs in the toilet. She takes a picture of herself and sends it to Kilgrave. AKA The Sandwich Saved Me was written by Dana Barada and directed by Steven Sergic. Okay, Joshua, so uh, we gotta kinda deal with this right away. Uh, this episode has a lot of flashbacks and of course you know, I hate flashbacks. Um, I will say, I think that the flashback where Jessica remembered uh, helping Malcolm and then we get that first interaction with her and Kilgrave, I liked that. I felt that that actually had a space in the current narrative. Um, the rest of it, eh, you know, I mean, some of the scenes in and of themselves are not necessarily a problem, but flashbacks interrupt the flow of the narrative and they really need to earn their space and be more than just expositional. So I'm curious to know how you felt about them. I mean, I'm going to admit that they're not great, you mm -hmm. know, um, but I also don't think they're terrible. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not sure that I could go to the mattresses to say that they earn their space necessarily, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I kind of like to see that Jessica has always been a little bit cynical, yeah. but but that Trish has kind of been like a good influence on her in this way. Now, we're going to talk about how you, you, there's an ulterior motive for Trish there, but, <laughs> right. you know, just seeing that Jessica used to have a little bit more hope for the mm -hmm. world and her place mm -hmm. in it and that she actually struggled against her own cynicism. I like that these these scenes build that up as kind of their own internal conflict. Like, I do think they have a narrative 
of their own. I'm just not sure that it necessarily impacts the main narrative enough. Yeah, I'm not sure that they really do have a narrative of their own. Um, Jessica is, I, I mean, I like, I like seeing Jessica. I like seeing her capability. I like seeing that she's really good at doing that PI stuff. Even before she's a PI, she dug up all that stuff on her boss. And that was kind of nice. And the boss was a jerk. So it was, of course, like emotionally rewarding to see him get his comeuppance. And I liked <laughs> that. Uh, so, I mean, in the moments in themselves, I didn't really mind them, but I, I didn't feel like there was enough of a narrative there. And the narrative that was in the past was really just expositing. This is who Jessica used to be. This is what, you know, Trish has always been super excited about superheroes and all this kind of stuff. Um, that, uh, uh, it just wasn't, there wasn't enough there there for me for it to really earn its place. And every time we stopped the current narrative to go back and remember something from Jessica, I was like, oh God, whatever, let's just do the thing now. Because what we've got going on now, I think is really cool. Like I like this Jessica, you know, um, I really like that she instantly hates Simpson because Simpson is totally hateable and that shows that <laughs> jessica has good judgment yeah yeah <laughs> like, he's really an asshole and i cannot stand him in this when he comes out of that room with trish half naked right just inserting himself into this whole thing telling jessica why her plan sucks and oh no i should just kill him and jessica's like there's a reason why i need him alive shut up nobody asked you you know and then we get this wonderful line from trish where she's like hey last night was fun but that doesn't mean i want your opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simpson sucks. And well, hmm, actually, I feel like they really do a good job of building Simpson to a place where he is clearly terrible, but also we should listen to him because right, Jessica's but also plan valuable. is aggressively bad. <laughs> Well, I mean, and I like that because she says, you know, last night was fun, but it doesn't mean I want your opinion. Then she looks at Jessica and says, he, he can be useful, though. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I really like I really like all of that, honestly. I, and also, I think that there's a way where Simpson could have stepped out and yes. talked about his expertise without mm -hmm. mansplaining the shit out of everyone. But well, they no, didn't do that on helpful. purpose because they're doing something with Simpson. They're you know? doing something with Simpson and he's he's an asshole and it's fine. I really love the way that Jessica hates him so much um, <laughs> because she basically is my like fan insertion into this narrative where I'm like, if you could just punch him in the face just once, just for me, Jessica, just once. I would really, really love that. Uh, but we they didn't get even that get to episode. a place of begrudging respect for each other at different points, which I also well, feel is yeah. pretty realistic. They don't like each other, but they also recognize each other's capabilities like yeah you're almost getting flashes of how this didn't have to be a shitty relationship except that jessica is a cynical and unloving person let's be <laughs> honest and simpson is not a person putting himself in a position to be well liked you know yes exactly i mean because he is completely an asshole um but i actually like in a weird way kind of enjoy him there even though he's an asshole, because he does bring this guy. I mean, he brings her, he brings her to the, the CDC building, right? Has access to this hermetically sealed room from which, you know, you can't hear anything. And then we have that lovely moment between him and Jessica where they're each like just shit talking <laughs> the other one from either yes. side. And they're just smiling at each other while being like, you're an asshole and I hate you, you know? Um, and that I thought was a really, really nice moment. So while Simpson is a jerk and I hate him and I want him to get punched in the face i enjoy his presence in the narrative <laughs> he's very useful narratively yeah. mm -hmm. and he is doing a real like okay so 
thematically, he's doing yes. a really cool thing, I think, yes. which is, you know, Kilgrave is pretty obviously the worst, most terrible man or or is emblematic of the worst, most terrible man. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Using all of his power and privilege to get whatever he wants and everybody else be damned. Yes. And Simpson is very much like a softer version of that. That mm -hmm. is only not as bad by degrees because he is also yeah. still just swaggering around going, look at my dick. That means I'm right. in charge, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it, it's really nice in a mm -hmm. way that you could have, like I'm imagining a space where a, a man watching this could show up and go, yeah, but I'm not Kilgrave and then see Simpson and go, oh shit, but I am Simpson. <laughs> You know, right. maybe I should maybe I should run my life a little differently. Like that's right. that's that's a really I don't know. I, I really like what's what's going on there. And when we eventually get well, I mean, we've had Luke, which yes. is problematic in these two episodes. But we've had Luke as an example of a good guy. And we will mm -hmm. like a, an actual, you know, an good, actual. Good yes. Man. Mm -hmm. And we'll get another one as we go. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really like how these how these guys line out and as we watch simpson there will be no room for debate on whether or not he's a good guy <laughs> right as we move forward yeah that question is going to be now. answered yeah right <laughs> mm -hmm. there isn't a whole lot of question there now um but you know when you when you talk about this kind of like spectrum of of positive to toxic masculinity um here we have malcolm all the way on the other end of the spectrum like just the sweetest guy and i mean i i don't particularly care for traipsing in this stereotype of the black man on drugs right the drug addict you know um he is like uh, we do have also luke cage so he's at least not our only person of color you know um but I like that we learn more about him, that he was a social worker, that, that he is on drugs because Kilgrave put him on drugs to make him invisible. Um, the statement that makes about the way that we treat drug addicts, the same yes. way we treat homeless people, like, you know, in um, the we they're not only invisible, we look away, we actively look away from them. And so to have him there. It's it's a brilliant move on Kilgrave's part. I think that we're making a nice kind of commentary on us, you know, culturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he is just like the sweetest person, you know, and he's trying so hard. And I just I love, love, love Malcolm. He is honestly one of my favorite characters ever. His his arc is really powerful, mm -hmm. both like as an individual character and also yeah. the way that we should kind of feel about it, you know? Yeah. Um, we should be uncomfortable with how easily it was to turn a black man invisible. Exactly. And, and we're talking about a, a person, Jessica has actually helped and kind of off and on yeah. taken care of, Yeah. even though she didn't really want to, but even then she never looked at him as a threat or necessarily yeah. as someone to befriend. You know, she mm -hmm. just kind of spins his plate Right. And we now see that that even that like that's better than doing nothing, but it's still not great. Right. Right. Because if she'd actually befriended him, she probably would have noticed this, right. you know, this other aspect of things mm -hmm. way ahead of now. But it's so it's so nice. And then like at the end, when she sits down with him and she gives him the drugs and she says and she's not like, you know, she's not overly soft with him. Which yeah. to me from Jessica, like Jessica's not soft with anybody. I mean, let's just go ahead and, you know, put that out there. But <laughs> there's also this, um, it, it shows a, a sense of respect 
for him. Like she's not coddling him and she's not being like, oh, you don't have this strength. You know, she's she's saying you have the strength. You can choose to use it and like, you know, save me after everything I've done for you. Or, you know, you can be another person that Kilgrave makes me responsible for, you know, for ruining, you know. And there's something about the way that Jessica deals with him, even though it is not you know, particularly soft and kind, which is nothing. I don't want that from Jessica. And just because she's mm-hmm. a woman doesn't mean mm-hmm. she has to be soft and kind, but that her being tough on him shows a respect for him and a recognition that he is more than what he thinks he is. And she sees that in him. So the fact that she can see, you know, like what an, an unbelievable douche, you know, Simpson is right off. And she also has a measure on Malcolm that she yeah. knows what he is too. I yeah. love that. Cause that's kind of part of a power. That's a, that's a more natural. It's not a superpower. It's not a supernatural thing, but it is part of Jessica's powers, her ability to really like see people for what they are. And so when she's tough on him, it shows that respect for him. And then he throws those drugs in the toilet, which when you're in withdrawal like that, I mean, I don't personally, I'm lucky enough to not personally have experience with that, but you know, I've had experience with like quitting cigarettes. Like that's addictive. It's nothing like heroin, but you know, there is something to like, that is a really difficult thing to do. And for him to have the strength to do that, you know, feeling the way that he was feeling as weak and, and trashy as he was feeling, you know, to be able to do that just is, is such a great character moment for him. I love that. It also really comes back to that kind of tarnished heart of gold thing with Jessica because Mm -hmm. she gives him an opportunity to win that battle and be the hero of his own story. Yes. Like says, Mm -hmm. save me from your death is is like a real manipulative, real shitty way to 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 frame it. But it also is a thing she feels will work. Like if anything's going to work on him. This will work on him and it will give him a foundation to build something back up, you know. Right. Because she knows he's not going to do it for himself, but he'll do it for somebody else because that's who this guy is. Right. Or at least who he was. Let's right. see if he can be again. Yeah. And exactly. she expects it. And so it's mm-hmm. it's it's like compassion in an iron fist, you know, kind of thing. Right. But but the compassion is in there. Yeah. Jessica's yeah. still a good person. Which is a really interesting uh, conversation as we go through these two episodes. <laughs> yes. No, exactly. Jessica's goodness and and what what brand of goodness she actually possesses, um, I think, is a really interesting, crunchy conversation. I think we're going to get more into that in the next episode. Um, but for this episode, uh, Trish. Now, here's the thing. Um <laughs> I remember liking Trish the first time that I watched uh, Jessica Jones. Uh, I also remember liking Simpson. And and maybe it's just, maybe what I'm remembering is that I enjoyed him in the narrative the way that I'm enjoying him in the narrative now because we we acknowledge that he is terrible. And so it's kind of fun seeing him be so terrible. Um, So maybe that's what I remember. But I remember really liking Trish. And this time around, I am not enjoying her as much. Um, I I like that she's badass. I like that she's training. I like that she's like, nobody's ever going to touch me without my consent. Um, I like that she's kind of grabbing her own power. But she also rides Jessica's power in this kind of um, power fantasy that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good to me. It feels like she's... um, like she's kind of using Jessica to scratch some kind of weird itch that she's got. Yeah. And she really annoys me in that way. And I'm wondering what your response is to Trish. 
I really like Trish even in her bad choices mm-hmm. because she feels well. Let, let me let me start over. Um, Trish feels like a real person. Jessica mm-hmm. feels like a real person. Their relationship feels like a real relationship because mm-hmm. they do love each other and they are both trying to take care of the other one. They're also both damaged and traumatized individuals who are very mm-hmm. bad at taking care of themselves, let alone somebody yeah. else. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you that Trish is not always the most altruistic that she could be in her relationship with Jessica, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think that, that this ties into her tragic taste in men as far as Simpson is concerned. Yeah. Simpson mm-hmm. is not a good partner like he's not a good pick but he is available in the way that she wants him to be available Mm -hmm. right there and i mean i'm not gonna try and like figure out everybody's dealing with trauma but the fact that he's kind of wrapped up in another traumatic experience for her but also wasn't Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it was both him and not him that she gets to kind of have it both ways she feels like a real person like a real complex doing her best but also her best is not always great it's you know kind great. of person right and since i feel that way about jessica in kind of a, a very different way like she's uh-huh. a very different character but in but lives in a very same space i really like their relationship together not for its health necessarily right. <laughs> but because it feels real like these well, feel like yeah real people no it does it feels like a real relationship and i definitely feel there's real love there between the two of them which i like and i like the way that that's represented it's a grungy relationship you know it's got some it's got some issues and i think that that's okay but there is kind of an essentially parasitic nature to trish and her enthusiasm for jessica's power um that that bothers me that like rings this very uncomfortable bell for me i can see that i also think it goes away post killgrave Yes. Well, we'll when we get to season two, we'll definitely have more discussions to have about Trish. I mean, Trish in the present feels very differently about Jessica and her capabilities than Trish in their past. In their past. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. She's ignoring how bad the life of a superhero could get in favor of all the, the good stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, power fantasies, that's what they are. Like, like, that's what I'm saying. It's it's um, it's a very understandable mistake. I also mm-hmm. think that that shine is completely off the apple for her in the present. Like yes. she mm-hmm. does not like Jessica's life choices. But now it's not because Jessica's not fulfilling her Trish's own power fantasy. It's because Trish is worried about Jess, you know? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's a real this is why this is why I kind of like these flashbacks, even though they may not earn all of their weight. I really like mm-hmm. to see how both of these characters have changed over time and based on Jessica's run in with Kilgrave. I, yeah. 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 No, I definitely understand that. But I mean, even in the present, like when they get beat up, you know, and they and the guys take Kilgrave back. Right. And she's just yes. like this whole thing is happening. Jessica's dealing with so much. And Trish is like, you know, I got tased and I can't. And it, she makes it all about her when what they're dealing with is is bigger than that. And yeah. and I like that Jessica at least calls her on it, too. She's like, yes. you know what? This thing you need me to make you feel better. I can't do that. You know, yeah. I, I, so I do. I actually really do like how straightforward and honest they are with each other. But Trish just like irritates me more and more every time I deal with her. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> so, they're yeah, supposed know. to like her, you yeah. know? Um, like she's supposed to be likable. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's she's kind of like, I don't want to say the, the, 
she's I don't want to I'm going to put her in in kind of contrast with Simpson in a way where Simpson is supposed to be that like, boy, he's a real dick, but he's also right. And and we're supposed to have those same kind of like nuanced feelings about Trish, I think, where it's like she's so yeah. likable, but I don't like her. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's a complicated thing. And I think that I think that that's all right. I mean, I think it's all right to have a complicated character. Again, not everybody has to be perfect. But but Trish's imperfections are, I think, specifically made to annoy me. Maybe there's <laughs> just something that. about yeah. her that that grates on me. But, you know, every superhero absolutely needs a best friend. So let's go ahead and have a word from our sponsor. Want to learn how to be a superhero? No? Well, too damn late because your sidekick is already banging down your door with a specially made costume and mask and she has superhero name ideas. Okay, so um, here are my ideas. Um, the badass babe. No. Okay, okay, okay. I got another one. Uh, the masked menstruator. No. Oh, Boudica? Who's Boudica? Oh, she was this English woman and the Romans killed her husband and raped her daughters and then she led a warrior horde to like burn all their shit down and she killed like, a lot of them. And then she kind of lost a big battle and so she killed herself and her daughters so that they wouldn't have to be raped and tortured and stuff. She was like fucking serious. No. Now that you're about to become a superhero and make loads of money because we all know that superheroes make serious bank, it's time to become a patron of Chipperish Media. Chipperish Media produces all the best story analysis podcasts like Still Pretty about Buffy, Still Dead about Angel the Series, Metaphors Be With You about Star Wars, and our new show, Welcome to the End Times, looking at good omens, both the book and TV series. You know, if you think about it, we're kind of like the superheroes of story podcasting. And for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get access to patron-exclusive content, like Two Hosts Minimum, where Chipperish hosts mix and match to talk about the stories you want us to talk about. You'll also be able to join the exclusive Chipperish Discord chat, where you can hang out with other smart people who love the stories that you love. And by supporting Chipperish Media, you keep all our content free and ad-free for others to discover and enjoy. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can save the day. Oh, I know. This is so perfect. You're going to love it. What? The Justice Jezebel. Fuck me. All right. So the rest of this uh, episode... Um, there really isn't that much going on. We have a bit of hope, but what's going on with hope really isn't a story in and of itself. It's kind of just a little vignette. And then we end up getting the, that payoff on that story in the next episode. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I don't know if there was there anything else in this episode that you want to talk about or should we move on to AKA you're a winner? Well, I'll, I'll say that I like that hope shows back up. Mm -hmm. with her own stuff, right? We don't know yeah. what it is yet, but since I think hope is Jessica's hope, you know, right. mm -hmm. um, it's worth being reminded that she exists. And I feel like we could kind of forget that a little bit. Um, yes. If she didn't turn up. And also, you know, we'll talk more in the next episode. That whole thing comes down to uh, a meta plot movement. But yes. If, if the only thing we had reminding us that hope existed was Jessica yelling at Simpson, I need him alive for reasons. Right. We could kind of forget her. And she's not a character. Hope's not a character. Okay. Mm -hmm. But she is still important 
thematically and as a as an impetus. So I, I like with that we are reminded of her, but we also don't spend a lot of time there, which yeah, is good because no. this episode tension just ratcheted me to 11. I was yeah. on the edge of my seat this entire time. And if they'd spent any more time with Hope, they might have turned me down a couple notches, you know? Yeah, right. No, I, I think it was a little too much hope. I think that I had enough with Jessica reminding Simpson of the reason why they're doing this and why it's important. Um, I would have rather had Hope's whole story in the next one. Um, but That's because it's cop, just distracting. Yeah. It's just distracting in this episode. Um, so for me, it didn't really work. But it also, again, it wasn't enough that it that it like, you know, completely sunk the episode. The episode was really tense. Um, you know, like I, I thought there was some nice stuff going on. I really liked the movement. I love the, the conflict with Simpson um, and Jessica just, you know, being ready to beat him up at any given moment. So I really appreciate that. Um, and even and the Trish and Jessica stuff I did like, even though I don't like Trish, but I like that relationship <laughs> and I like working with it. Um, so so I thought it was a fun episode, but uh, we've definitely got to move on to the next episode and talk a bit about AKA You're a Winner. In AKA You're a Winner, Kilgrave wins a million dollars with a terrible hand of poker and then forces the guy running the game to smash his head into a post. So, you know, it's a standard Wednesday. Jessica and Malcolm are trying to figure out a plan for dealing with Kilgrave when Luke shows up. He wants Jessica to find someone named Antoine, the brother of a woman named Serena. Jessica takes the case, but isn't too sure about it. Jessica gets called in to visit Hope after she gets a beating in jail. It turns out she wasn't being bullied. She paid an inmate to beat her up in hopes it would force a miscarriage of Kilgrave's baby. She can't get in to see a doctor until it's too late for an abortion, and she does not want to have a baby from a father who raped her. She says she'll take more beatings if it means she won't have to give life to this thing. Jessica is sympathetic, but there's not much she can do, so she goes to check out Antoine's apartment. At the apartment, she's late and Luke is a bit pissy, but they figure out together that Antoine packed toiletries before leaving, which means he's probably okay. Luke insists that they still have to find him. Jessica finds lottery tickets in Antoine's trash and calls his phone to tell him he won an Xbox, hoping that will bring him in. Outside, they come across a bunch of goons looking for Antoine. He owes them money. Luke works out a deal for Jessica to track down deadbeats for the guy at a reduced fee, and everyone walks away without making a scene. After Luke gives Jessica a ride home, Malcolm confronts him, trying to protect Jessica, and Luke asks questions about Kilgrave. He shows up at Jessica's place and tells her what he knows, tells her that what Kilgrave made her do wasn't her fault, and then they have sex. The next morning, a call comes in from Antoine's phone claiming the Xbox, but it's not Antoine. Luke tells Jessica that he doesn't know Antoine and he barely knows Serena, but she has something he needs, proof his wife's death wasn't an accident. Luke says he's found a note to him in Reva's things, telling him the location of something she buried in a building near the corner where she died. He looked for it, but it wasn't there. Jessica remembers digging into the foundation and pulling out a black box with a yellow thumb drive in it. Kilgrave takes the drive and orders Jessica to take care of Reva. Jessica smashes back into the present and realizes she's late to send her picture to Kilgrave. At the hospital, Jerry delivers a pill that will abort Hope's baby, and Hope takes it with no doubts. Jerry's losing patience, waiting for Jessica to find dirt on her wife to make the divorce easier. And Jessica promises to get the dirt on her wife if she stays with Hope. Kilgrave buys a house without influencing the owner. He offers double the value in cash and has official papers and everything. And it turns out the only thing creepier than Kilgrave using his powers is Kilgrave not using his powers. 
Jessica and Luke track down the guy posing as Antoine and find Antoine in a warehouse full of weed. Antoine was just hiding out until he could make enough money to pay off the loan shark. Unfortunately, the loan shark can't wait. He and his goons jump Jessica, Luke, and Antoine, and while Luke is handling the goons, Jessica takes Antoine back to his sister and demands the information. Luke shows up and Serena gives him the file. It turns out the bus driver was drunk that night and they covered it up. Serena says that Luke is going to kill the bus driver, who is still driving the same route. Luke rides the bus, waiting until everyone else gets off at the last stop. Luke approaches the driver. The driver apologizes and said he's been sober since the accident. Luke throws him out the window, and Jessica rushes to intervene. Luke is about to go after the bus driver, and Jessica confesses, telling him what happened that night. Luke calls her a piece of shit and walks away. Malcolm meets with the Kilgrave support group. Jerry pays the nurse to save the tissue from Hope's abortion, and Kilgrave moves into his new home, where he peels off the wallpaper to reveal height marks on the wall. He just bought Jessica's childhood home. AKA You're a Winner was written by Edward Rycourt and directed by Steven Sergic. All right, so I have to say, I really loved this episode. This was so fun and creepy and interesting and gross in a lot of ways um, and really, really heartbreaking. What did you think of it, Joshua? I love it yeah. because it spins a whole bunch of plates without you realizing that it's spinning plates until you get to the end. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Like, I thought you were going to be annoyed by it because it's like, what the hell are we doing? Another case? We have a case. <laughs> you know? Hope is no, the case. I like it. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, in fact, if there was if there was a way that I could, like, I like how tight this season is, but if there mm -hmm. was a way that this show could have had a few more episodes that let us throw cases of the week in here, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I would not have hated that. You know, yeah. um, especially like on this one, it's so fraught, like it just throws Luke and Jessica back at each other. And mm -hmm. and it looks like it has nothing to do with anything, but it actually has a lot to do with a lot, you know. Yes. And yes. it gives us a reasonable excuse for them to not be breathing down Kilgrave's neck while he goes yeah. and does some creepy other shit. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's so no, good. It's so good. It's so good. I love all of it. I love I, I Malcolm again is one of my favorite things. Yes. I love Luke comes up and Luke, Luke, who is twice the size of any other natural human being, right? <laughs> and Malcolm is like, keep your distance or I'm going to have to kick your ass. And it is the cutest fucking thing in the entire world. It is so sweet. He is protecting, you know, Jessica. And I love the way that he protects Jessica. And he is going up against a guy who just, I mean, forget that he's superpowered, just on looks alone. Yes. You yeah. know that Luke, I mean, with being a normal guy, Luke's size, you could flatten Malcolm, you know? But Malcolm is, and he's not like posing. He is just being brave. He's yeah. just going up to Luke and being like, no, I'm going to stand between you and Jessica. And if that means that you pummel me, I don't care. You know, I prepared for that. And I love that. And then that moment where Jessica says, if he had been Kilgrave, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And of course, at that point, Malcolm still thinks she just means because he's a big dude. But it's also like, right. no, seriously, he could throw you. Seriously. really far and punch yeah. through you you know yeah no it's really really good and so i love how brave he is i love when he goes up to luke and he's like i just want to know who sent you and like you know are you here because of her is this really your agenda and just the way that he approaches luke and then of course he tells luke 
everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Luke goes back to Jessica, you know, understanding that she had been, you know, under mind control and all of this stuff. And it is such a, like, devastatingly vulnerable scene when Luke is standing outside of her door and he's talking to her through the door and he's like, I just want to make it right. And he doesn't understand why she, you know, stopped seeing him. And it's so wonderfully expressed and he's so incredibly vulnerable. I love that whole scene. I thought that was really great. Luke is not only super vulnerable in that moment, but he thinks that he's the one who ruined their yes. burgeoning relationship because he shut her down, right? Mm -hmm. Again, he's the good guy, but he's like the actual good guy. Like he yeah. says, okay, it, it was crazy. I'm not saying I should have realized that you were telling me something real, but at the same time, I now understand I'm the reason you shut down because I didn't yeah. believe you, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is such a reasonable assumption from a good right. guy, like a yes. legitimately good guy, mm -hmm. and sets up this massive sense of betrayal, you know. Oh my God. At I the know. end. Man, I it's yeah, it's all and I really like that Malcolm just goes ahead and tells him. Yeah. Because otherwise we might be talking about like some false conflict stuff here where it's like if exactly. Luke and Jessica would just have a conversation, but in this case, the conversation makes it worse later. Exactly, which is what's Man. wonderful. I love this whole thing. I love that Malcolm just tells him. I love that Malcolm is completely straightforward. Malcolm is completely without artifice, you yeah. know? Um, and he is, he is honest and he is brave. And those are two things that just in combination make him so wonderful and malcolm is of course just walking vulnerability you know oh, he's yeah. not luke's size he doesn't have that mass he doesn't have jessica's power but his power is this you know this like incredible like internal goodness you mm -hmm. know um and i love love malcolm and it's so wonderful but then we have all of this stuff happening with luke and jessica and there's this wonderful line where he says jessica jones you are a hard drinking short fused mess of a woman but you are not a piece of shit and then letting that build up until we get to the end where she takes antoine and tries to betray luke tries to get the information that Serena has for him mm -hmm. only to discover that information has nothing to do with her, Yeah, you know? And then when he's about to kill this guy and she saves him from killing that guy, which is something that I truly believe Luke would have deeply, deeply regretted. Oh you yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, if he'd ever found out him. that, yes, that exactly. it wasn't that guy, Luke would yeah. hate himself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. even if, even believing that it is that guy, I think that's the kind of thing that in the next day, Luke would regret. I just don't think he cares in that moment, you know? Yeah, and then yeah. when she interrupts him and keeps him from getting his vengeance with that confession, and he says, and you let me be inside you. You touched me with the hands that killed my wife. You know, you didn't tell me any of this stuff. Would you have ever told me? Like all the betrayal, how difficult that is for him. And he doesn't lay a hand on her. I mean, he punches the bus right next to her. Like, he's clearly not happy. Doesn't lay a hand on her, but then says, you know, I was wrong. You are a piece of shit. And then walks away. That is such a devastating turn. This episode manages to take all of this romance and all of this tension between Luke and Jessica, ratchet it up absolutely beautifully, 
use this line, you're a hard-drinking, short-fused mess of a woman, but you're not a piece of shit, that should not be as romantic as it is. <laughs> that is an incredibly romantic line. They make that romantic. I don't know how they do it. Noir stories readjust your expectations as far as what lines are going to be romantic. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, and then I was wrong. You are a piece of shit. And to have him walk away, it is so heartbreaking and wonderfully built. And I loved every minute of it. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's uh, after the massive tension of the plan in the previous episode. Yeah. And then you come to this one and the tension is so different, but it is no less ratcheted to 11. Like you just, I mean, you, the viewer, are just as wrong as Jessica is about why there's tension. Mm -hmm. But then they just like, oh, but wait, he's going to go kill that guy. It's man. Yes. Yeah, it's uh these this is a good this is a good batch of two right here. <laughs> yeah, no, these are really really fantastic episodes. And then we also get this wonderful moment with Malcolm. I mean, it's very brief where he's in the support group, you know. Yeah. Um but where he's he's struggling with what kind of person am I? And this is something whenever you have mind control, whenever you have a villain who makes the victim complicit in the terrible, terrible things that they do, you know, um, it's it's always a wonderful beat for me. I love when we have this. Like, I don't know what kind of person I am. I thought I was a particular kind of person, but I did these things, you know, and I cannot let myself off the hook for that, you know, um, and and, you know, let it be just Kilgrave's fault, because, you know, even though he ordered me to do these, I still did them. Um, so it's this wonderful like crunchy moment of questioning who you are as a person. And I love when we play that beat and, and stories like this give you so many opportunities to play that beat. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's so good. Uh, and it's a, it's a similar, but different question Mm -hmm. than Jessica asks herself because Malcolm also comes clean with the fact that he did some of the stuff Kilgrave told him to do because of the drugs. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's he only became a drug addict because Kilvray was like, start taking drugs, you know. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But then he did stuff because of the addiction. And so it's uh, it's, if anything, an even murkier question of what kind of person am I? It's very. Yes. Oh, God, I love it. I love it. Um, Here's another thing that I noticed, and I don't know if it means anything, but I thought it was significant. Um, Maybe significant. I'm not sure. Um, We have this flashback to Reva and the box in the foundation and the thumb drive, right? Mm -hmm. And the thumb drive is yellow. Now, we haven't established, I mean, you know, he wears purple a lot, but we haven't like textually called Kilgrave the purple man or anything. Yeah, we're never going to do that. We see him in purple. (laughs) We see the light, uh, you know, around him is usually purple especially in the flashbacks and that but she has this yellow thumb drive and of course on the color wheel yellow is the opposite of purple right um and then we have the pill that hope takes to abort Kilgrave's baby also bright yellow and so I, I mean i'm looking at that and i'm like are these the seeds to his destruction you know like is hope you know i mean hope is killing his baby with mm-hmm. that with the yellow pill um and the thumb drive of course we don't know exactly what the significance of the thumb drive is yet but the fact that it's yellow just really stood out to me and the first time i watched this i didn't realize he was the purple man i didn't really make the association with the purple because that's not really textual in the show but knowing now of course that he is the purple man recognizing that now that i know that i'm 
seen a lot of purple in his his costuming and the lighting in his scenes, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I find that kind of interesting. So I'm not really sure if there's anything much we can say about it without being spoilery. Um, but it was kind of an interesting. I felt like those color choices were probably deliberate. I agree. And I think you have an added layer on the thumb drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yellow is very much Luke Cage's color ah. as far as the comic books are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, You will see that very specifically in a scene in his own show. Uh, Well, I mean, it recurs. He wears a lot of yellow Mm -hmm. um, or he wears colors that have yellow as a highlight. Uh, But it's actually part of his superhero costume from the comic books that yellow is a real big Luke Cage color. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's all really crunchy and fun. And it's almost like an Easter egg because unless you know... You know, you really textually understand the Purple Man and that history. Uh, it's something that you might not notice. I didn't notice it the first time I watched, but I noticed it this time. Um, all right. So here's another thing. Kilgrave buying the house, right? This is a very, very cool beat. Um, it's super, super creepy because he doesn't use his power on the guy. What yeah. is that about? Can we, we talk can't about talk that? about it yet. It's so it's cool and creepy. You know, when he when he doesn't use his power, it's almost worse. You know, he's up to something and it can't be good. It can't be good. No, it's just I love that where he goes, you are going to. Nope. You know, (laughs) and I'm like, oh, my God, that is so freaking creepy. And then when he goes and peels back the wallpaper and we see the, you know, growth marks for Jessica, it's terrible because and of course, like the whole time. What has she been doing? Reciting the streets from the neighborhood where she grew up. So that I thought was a really nice call to, you know, PTSD and to the, you know, strategies that you kind of build up to deal with a PTSD panic attack and all that. So I thought that was really good and kind of like a neat, very like the specificity of, of details and things like that can really help build a world and give you a sense of the space to bring us back to that neighborhood where she grew up. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then see the, you know, the literal growth lines of her growing up on the wall. That that's the cho- I mean, it was so creepy and so wonderful. And I absolutely loved it. It's really great, partly because if you don't know where this is headed, which, mm-hmm. of course, I didn't the first time that I watched well, it, sure. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can't help but be like, well, this is terrible. You know? Yes. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be really, it's really gonna bad. It's going to be really bad. Oh, God. It's so creepy. And that's the thing about Kilgrave is that he is he is super creepy because part of his villainy is it's so psychological. Like, I mean, some of the stuff he does is physically, he kills Reva, you know, he he makes Jessica do these terrible things, makes everybody do these terrible things, makes Hope kill her parents. That's all horrifying. But this, this way that he plays this psychological game that he's like literally inside your head. It's so creepy. And I love it because a lot of our villains, you know, tend to be like these very external bad guys. They're things that you can punch, but Kilgrave like poisons you from the inside and it's and then going to her childhood home on top of it it's just it's so evil i love it <laughs> i don't have anything okay. to add you're correct okay okay um so there wasn't much else i mean we do have this stuff in the background with jerry right where she is getting anxious about um about jessica getting this information on her wife um she also does this 
a hugely blatantly creakily manipulative turn where she answers the phone from Jessica and she's like, were you rude to Pam? The woman that I love, the woman that I can't wait to divorce my wife to be with this, like this whole horrible, gross manipulation. And Pam is there kind of accepting it, you know, and it's like, it's so like, but Pam seems to clearly know. So Jerry's horrible manipulation feels like a, um, like a reflection of Kilgrave. Like she has a bit of Kilgrave in her. And if she had the ability to do what Kilgrave does, she would do all the things that Kilgrave does. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's go back to our previous episode where, you know, I, I forget exactly which Jessica Jones episode is, but she says, think of all we could do if we had access yes. to this gift. You yes. know, and then she's mm-hmm. stealing the fetus or having the fetus sent to a lab. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yeah, we are she absolutely supposed to see reflections of Kilgrave and Jerry 100%. Yeah. Which is terrible. And then like the girlfriend turns around and says, you know, I won't be with you until you've divorced your wife and she says I'm Catholic. And there's something in that ironic hit that just like hit a bad note for me because it it, it seems to play off of the funny, oh, she's gay, she can't be religious as though being gay is somehow Um, takes the ability to have faith away from a person as opposed to that some faiths choose to uh, abuse gay people, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, something about that felt, uh, it felt like a a really flat note for me. I didn't particularly care for that. Um, but, But the fact that the girlfriend would even, after that terrible, creaky, awful, unskilled manipulation that the girlfriend would be like, yeah, once you're divorced, no, I'm totally in, you know? Well, I think, I mean, I don't know. Pam Pam is also only kind of a character. You yeah, know? fair enough. She's mm-hmm. here to make trouble or to be an image. That's She's not fair. There. Pam yeah. is not there to make trouble. Pam no. is there as an impetus for Jerry to make more trouble. Yes, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is the thing. I don't want to jump ahead, but the stuff with Jerry is a really big part of when things get really yes. dumb towards mm-hmm. the end so yes uh yeah it's it's bad manipulation by jerry and pam's response is kind of like supposed to be whimsical but i'm also like this scene is terrible let's just keep going it is it's really pretty gross and the stuff with jerry is my least favorite stuff in in season one um i but i do actually i do kind of like i don't i I don't care about the girlfriend or the wife or any of that nonsense, any of that stupidity. That all bugs me. I do like that Jerry is kind of a an unpowered reflection of Kilgrave. Yes. You yes. Know? Um, so I do kind of like the way that they're doing that. I like the fact that she said, oof, we had that power. I like the creepiness of her stealing the fetus. You know, yeah. like all of that is really creepy. It's just this romantic side plot the way she is with her wife the way she is with her girlfriend like all of that bugs me and i don't really care about it i don't care for it but i like i like the creepiness of her and the fact that she is not a million miles away from kilgrave and actually would want to be kilgrave given the opportunity absolutely yeah i i think we could have streamlined well we have meta plot or i I don't know like big season plot things that jerry has to do and i use has to with a lot of quotation marks because yes. I could live without it. We'll get to it. But <laughs> if we didn't have to be building to that, streamlining her would actually make her worse Yeah. in this part yeah. of the, the story. So, yeah. yeah. 
I have a couple of door thoughts. Yes. What are they? As you know. Um, yes, because we got to do our door thing. These episodes were not much for Jessica's mm-hmm. war on doors. Yes. We mm-hmm. only broke one in two episodes because right. we were mm-hmm. busy doing other things. But just that brings us up to a count of six. Six doors. Right. Six doors in six episodes. Now, this mm-hmm. these two are kind of messing up our count. I like our... Yeah. our are messing up our average, but still, that's one an episode. Jessica does not like doors. Um, Jessica does not like doors. The stuff about her own door also kind of takes a little bit of a backseat in these mm-hmm. two episodes, except for what you pointed out about her conversations with Luke through yeah. the door, and then mm-hmm. a little bit more after she opens the door, and then mm-hmm. also when he comes through the door. Like, yeah. it's all in the same scene, but I mean... You, you know, you could really unpack a whole like, nope, this is, you know, as far as a metaphor for her life, it's like, this is my mm-hmm. protective shield. Stay out of it. OK, I'm going to open it because you're starting to get through it. And then, OK, you can come into it. Like, yeah, we don't get a lot, but we do get that. And it's mm-hmm. pretty powerful. And I yeah. think it also creates kind of a uh, a subtextual use of the door as far as Malcolm is concerned, because mm-hmm. when she and Malcolm are spitballing together about Kilgrave. They are in Jessica's apartment and they are very comfortable. So he is in the shield now. He's not Mm -hmm. locked up in the bathroom. He's not sneaking in to steal her peanut butter. He is wrapped up in a blanket on her floor and they're having like, you know, sleepover conversation. Yes. (laughs) And when you, you know, on its own, I maybe wouldn't tie that to the door, but when you contrast that with the loot conversation, I feel like my metaphor is still holding strong here. Yeah, no, I think it's working. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like it. All right. So, Joshua, what's your favorite part? My favorite part's the house reveal. Yeah. Because it's a, like you mentioned, it's a double reveal. It both reveals the depths of Kilgrave's creepiness. But even if we weren't 100% sure what those growth marks meant, they have been leading up to that street sign reveal yeah. For all six episodes, basically. Yep. Yeah. They've been yeah. building this up. And you think, and that's the wonderful thing is that, you know, a twist like that. And I mean, you know, as far as a twist twist goes, you know, it's not that huge, but it's so nicely done because when you have a story, and this for all the writers out of there, when you have a story element that fulfills one purpose, you know, then people say, oh, okay. So she talks about the street names because that's how we know she's having PTSD. So that's how we know that. So when you actually use that for something else, it's this lovely moment of surprise because nobody's really expecting it. Nobody's waiting for it to be narratively significant because it's already filled one narrative purpose. So using one story element for two narrative purposes gives you this ability to pull a twist in there. It's really nice. And in terms of those street names, this is actually the third time mm-hmm. because uh, remember, that was the very first tool that Jessica handed to Hope as far as dealing with yep. her yes. grave trauma. It was yes. like, what street did you grow up on? We've mm-hmm. already seen that pay off multiple times. And then to yep. have this, it just lands. It's so. Oh, God, it's so good. Creepy. <laughs> but Lonnie, what about your favorite part? Oh, God. You know what? I, I was I was torn. Because Luke at the door, absolutely like one of my, but I think, I think I like when Malcolm stands up to Luke, mm-hmm. when Wal- Malcolm challenges Luke to protect Jessica as my absolute favorite part. Because I just, I love Malcolm. He's so strong. He's so brave. He is actually, while being a character that we 
ignore, that we don't see, that we look away from, you know, for the first part of this is truly like the the heart and the true innocence. Like noir, right, is all about protecting the innocent. Yeah. And Malcolm is the most innocent of all and the most genuinely good of all. He's the least corrupted, you know, of everybody in this show. And so like just him living in this world that is so much tougher than he is and yet stepping up to it. I love it. Yeah, I really love Malcolm and Hope as these, you know, those are the pure things that this impure, at least from her own perspective, person is trying to help, right? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Preserving Hope's innocence by the law, if not, you know, in her own life, you know, she still did those things, right? Yeah. She's going to have to deal with that, but I can at least get her exonerated in the sight of the law. And with Malcolm, this whole turning it into him being the hero, which I think is why he's able to step up and really try to protect her from Luke again. He is now back in the driver's seat of his life. And she she hasn't, sorry, and Jessica hasn't quite been able to do that for Hope yet. Yeah. Although mm-hmm. the I want this thing out of me is kind of a, a step in that direction. Yeah, yeah, know. absolutely. No, it's pretty cool. I gotta say, it's good stuff. These were really, really good episodes. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I'm at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up, a-holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who are hard-drinking, short-fused messes. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Jessica Jones, Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8. Until then, the beauty of what we do is that it can't be explained. And if it can't be explained, it can't be believed. <laughs>